following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. Good morning to everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning, whether it's here in the room or online. It's nice to have our first service together. It feels like we haven't been together in a year. <laughs> it's a 2020-2021 joke. So... Yeah, like many, that was better in my head than it was, but it actually came out of my mouth. All right, I figure before we start, uh, let's just do a brief rundown down of some good New Year's resolutions. Uh, so this is just mine. It's just a short list. You're welcome to borrow any of these if you'd like. Number one, 2021, I plan to live my best life and only buy pants with no buttons or zippers. I'm going to sign up for a marathon that I bravely will not actually run. I will remember to make overnight oats the night before, even though I know I won't want to eat them in the morning. That happened in 2020 also. I'm going to buy all leftover 2020 calendars and burn them. I'm going to tattoo New Year, New Me, just kidding, on my arm. I'm going to cross that one off for next year. Uh, I'm going to read more, or at least turn on subtitles while watching TV. I will stay in the bathroom while I brush my teeth. Is anybody else like me? I wander when I brush my teeth. Okay, all right. So I'm going to eat until I'm no longer cold. And I'm going to floss every day, not just with wild abandon and the week leading up to a cleaning. Those weren't original with me, um, except for the ones that you enjoyed. And those absolutely were. All right, a couple announcements before we get into it this morning. Number one, starting next week, January 10th, we will return to having some form of musical worship at the end of the service. We will have designated areas for varied comfort levels, and we'll have instructions about that next Sunday on those options. Wednesday, January 13th, we will resume Awana youth group and small groups, at least the small groups who are choosing to start up again. If you have questions, talk to the relevant group leaders. So Awana, that's Carl. Youth group, that's Dan and Emily. And then small group leaders, if you're in a small group, talk to your small group leader. And then on Sunday, February 7th, there is going to be a business meeting. We haven't had a business meeting for a while. So there'll be more details about the timing, et cetera. But Sunday, February 7th, will be our next CLG business meeting. All right, so we're going to keep talking about repentance this week. So for our opening prayer, we're going to jump right into it. We're going to start with the prayer of repentance. And at the end of this prayer... If you have this past week been uh, repenting about something, I talked about this a bit last Sunday, and you would like to come up and share something with everyone else just about what God placed in your heart, what it looked like to surrender that thing, and you can take one, two, three minutes just to, uh, in some ways, make yourself accountable to the group here. You will be welcome to do that. I'll invite you up here if you would like. Um, I don't mean to twist your arm, but I think it's a nice way if this has been something that's meaningful to you this past week, just to let the rest of the church see what it's looking like because it can be encouraging and hopeful just to see God at work in people's lives. So I'm actually going to read a prayer from a guy named Bob Coughlin. He was at a Worship God conference about 14 years ago, and he offered this prayer. And I, I thought this is interesting because uh, last week I was talking about just as our we desire revival in our nation and revival in our lives and 2020 was a year that seemed to bring a lot of stuff bubbling to the surface that we could be revived from. 
And so I was just looking to see this week, I've been finding classical prayers of repentance from the catechisms and stuff, just to kind of see what it's looked like over the years. And this one popped up, and I thought, man, this is a good one. This must have been a conference this year, and it wasn't. It was a conference 14 years ago. So apparently repentance is timeless. So I'm going to have it up here on the screen, and um, let's, I'll, I'll read it. And if you want to just offer your own kind of internal heartfelt prayer as we go through this, we'll start out the morning this way. Holy and righteous God, we confess that like Isaiah, we are people of unclean lips. But it's not only unclean lips we possess. We're people with unclean hands and unclean hearts. We have broken your law times without number and are guilty of pride, unbelief, self-centeredness, and idolatry. Affect our hearts with the severity of our sin and the glory of your righteousness as we now acknowledge our sins in your holy presence. We have had other gods before you. We have worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. We have sought satisfaction in this world's pleasures rather than in you. We have loved to praise our own glory more than yours. We have taken your name in vain. We have prayed religious prayers to impress others. We have uttered your name countless times without reverence or love. We have listened to others use your name in vain without grieving. We have murdered in our hearts. We have often destroyed our neighbor with our tongues. We have been quick to uncharitably judge others. We have considered revenge when we were sinned against. We have committed adultery with our eyes. We have loved temptation rather than fighting it. We have lusted after unlawful and immoral pleasures. We have justified our lust by using the world as our standard. We've stolen what is not ours and coveted what belongs to others. Our lives overflow with discontent, ungratefulness, and envy. We have complained in the midst of your abundant provision. We have sought to exalt ourselves through owning more. We have lied to you and to others. We have told distorted truths, half-truths, and untruths. We have despised the truth to make ourselves look better. Even in our confession, we look for ways to hide our guilt. O oh God, we have sinned against your mercy times without number. We're ashamed to lift up our faces before you, for our iniquities have gone over our heads. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? How shall we answer you? We lay our hands to our mouths. We have no answer to your righteous wrath and just judgment. We have no answer, but God himself has mercifully provided one for us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Lord, just going through this prayer is a sobering reminder of the many ways in which we purposefully or accidentally offend you, offend your holiness, compromise our faith, and Lord, that could feel overwhelming. But we cannot forget the end of us. Even though we have all turned to our own way, the Lord has laid upon Jesus the iniquity of us all. And as we talk about repentance, Lord, we're not talking just about the honest acknowledgement of who we are apart from you. 
We're talking about who we can become with you. So, Lord, as we go through this this morning, I pray for that dual realization, uh, that apocalypse, that revelation, that while we are more sinful than we ever imagined, the grace and mercy of God is more powerful than we ever believed. All right, so this is where I want to give opportunity. If you would like to share something from this past week just about um, how repentance has unfolded in your life, I will move a microphone up here, and you can come up here. But I'm not going to move the microphone until I find out if there's someone in this room who would like to share something like that. Uh, you're good. Hear me okay. Um, if anybody here might not know me, my name is Peg, and um, I'm a very happy person, and I love to share with people. But this last week, the Lord showed me that, especially with my husband, I talk a whole lot more than I listen. And um, I'm asking the Lord to help me uh, do better and to be more of a listener than a talker. So you are, I'm giving you the opportunity to hold me accountable. <laughs> You're going to ask, how am I doing from time to time? I don't know if I speak, if, I'll, uh, if we got two microphones. All right, thanks, Peg. I appreciate that. It's a good, honest confession. And I think one thing I would encourage people to do after the service is for those who are bearing their lives to you, go pray with them. Show them in a very practical sense that you are with them, that you're locking arms with them. Uh, that is part of what we'll talk about today is maybe the community aspect of confession. So thanks, Peg. Anybody else? I'm Marilyn Deer. And uh, I think the thing that the Lord has really been impressing upon me is um, uh, I have a tendency to get really busy. And, um, uh, and it seems like, okay, these are all good things, but what he really wants is my heart and my time with him. And so it's just kind of a reminder for me to slow down on all these other things that seem so important and to get back to what's really important, which is that time with him. That's it. That feels like it's always an interesting one. I, I'm with you on that. Busyness can feel really spiritual. Yeah, and, and recognizing resting in God is important. Did you want to share something? 
I, I thought maybe you were coming up a little bit ago. About a week ago, I was sitting there at the at my in my living room, and I got around to thinking about this little science project about putting things in coke and seeing what they what it does to it. I know if you put a nail in a a rusty nail in a little bit of coke like this, it'll chew it up right quick. And I got to thinking, why if it's chewing up everything and unloosening old nuts and bolts, what is it doing inside of a person? So I asked the good Lord, and he's helping me not to... Uh, drink any more Coke or any other kind of soda because I know it's all sugar, not like Pepsi because Pepsi is more sugar than anything. So the good Lord is helping me. I haven't had one since I've asked him to do so. And so there's another little thing that I've asked him to help me do again and he's been faithful enough to help me do that, which I'm not going to mention. So the good Lord has given me the opportunity now and then to get out the Bible and see where I can read about different things. And so that's the way it goes in my life and his. And I've been asking the good Lord to help me not to scream yell, holler at anything going on, even the cat, because I know that scares her. So that's my life. Thanks, Pam. Anybody else? I feel like with this small room, I can look people in the eye and put a lot of pressure on you. All right. Thank you. And once again, for those who shared, uh, I would encourage you afterwards, show them uh, the solidarity. I, I heard you. I'm with you. Uh, when God's people, when we surround each other, there is a lot of power in that. All right, I want to talk today just simply about how to repent. And there is a lot more than this. I'm just going to make three points. And I was talking with Tom Gordon this week about it, about him making a fourth point. And he has sent me a fourth point on Wednesday or so that was sermon length. So Tom's going to make a fourth point next week about how to repent. It is a crucial one that I think deserves its own morning to talk about. So if you would like notes, there are some back there. When you come in the door, there's an oblong table over there in front of the window. You can pick up some notes there. I'll also notice this. Um, there's going to be three times this morning where I'm going to give you a little space to be stuck with your own thoughts. And 
Uh, think about how repentance will unfold in your life. I have on that green table some paper and some pens. If you would like to write while you're doing it, you're welcome at any point to get up and get it. If you do, actually maybe go around the back so you don't cut off the stream. Otherwise, your face will be like right there in front of everybody as you do this, and Scott's going to actually move stuff for us, so we'll be good. And so for you people watching at home, this might be a time to get some paper and pencil as well. All right, three points this morning on how to repent. First point is this. Repentance involves submission. And the idea here is that when we give our lives to Christ, one of the things we're doing is saying our life is not our own. And in fact, once I give my life to Christ, I'm making this commitment that says my plan now is to walk in the path of righteousness. I recognize God as my Lord, not just my Savior. And as the king in my life, the king gets to make the rules. So now when I give my life to Christ, I have given up my right to make rules. I now follow the rules of the king. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 read, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. You're bought with a price, so honor God with your bodies. Charles Spurgeon kind of summarized this idea this way in one of his sermons. Does any man here think it would be a pleasure to be his own? Let me assure him there is no ruler so tyrannical as self. He that is his own master has a fool and a tyrant to be his lord. No man ever yet governed himself after the will of the flesh, but what he by degrees found the yoke to be heavy and the burden crushing. Self is a fierce dictator, a terrible oppressor. Imperious lusts are cruel slave drivers. My body is not my own. I have no right then as a Christian man to do anything with it that would defile it. And if we are not our own, but we are bought with a price... We have no right to exercise any capricious government of ourselves. A man who is his own may say, I shall go whither I will and do what I will. But if I'm not my own, but belong to God who has bought me, then I must submit to his government. His will must be my will, and his directions must be my law. So I have found at times when I really struggle with temptation, I think I fall into the trap of asking a question. It isn't actually an honest question that I get to ask as a Christian, and that is, what should I choose in this moment? It, really, what I'm asking is, which of my wills would I like to be done as I'm facing this particular thing? But, of course, as a Christian, I've already made that call, right? When I gave my life to Christ and I surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, I already said it will not be my will that I want to see done. I want it to be God's will that's done. So when I'm faced in a moment of temptation where I can follow my will and fall into sin or I follow God's will and stay into righteousness, I already made that call. Does that make sense? I, I, I can do it, right? I mean, I have free will. It's not like becoming a Christian takes away my ability to make a choice. I'm just saying I already made a choice that dictates these choices that follow or at least ought to. And so if you're anything like me, I find myself like what Paul says. He has this war within. The things I ought to do, don't do. Things I should do, I don't want to do. 
And Paul's like, thank God I have God. That's the conclusion of that. But Paul is very aware of this war that wrestles within us. And I've just found that I respond very differently when I think, um, this isn't a choice I have to make. I'm going to give you one practical example. Um, when, when I was in the midst of struggling of moving out of pornography, I would struggle. I, w- I would get emails that would have stuff that, you could, that were right there in the email that I could watch if I wanted to. And I was struggling with just closing those emails and deleting them and going on. And I read a book or heard somebody speak. I forget which one it was. But what they said was, that choice has been made for you. You think that when that email pops up, you have a choice to make about whether or not you look at the email, but this guy said, you don't. That choice has been made for you. Um, And for whatever it's worth, it really changed. It, It changed something very important in my struggle. Like now when that popped up, I thought, oh, I don't have to make a choice. That was the hardest part was wrestling with the choice. What do I do? Oh, I... That's already been decided. Of of course this is what I do. There is no other way but this path of righteousness for me because I gave my life to Christ. I've already made that. God established the path of righteousness. And when I surrender my life to him, my steps were ordered in that path. So the choice has been made. Thy will be done, not my will be done. So once again, it's not that I have lost the ability to act freely when I become a Christian. It's that I have surrendered my ability to act freely when I became a Christian. This would be a great morning for Message Plus where we could unpack that a little bit more. But I I hope you get the idea of what I'm saying. So here's question number one. And Becky's just going to play some music in the background. We're just going to take a little bit of time. Like I said, I want you to be stuck with your thoughts. What choices are you wrestling with that have already been made for you? Or think of it this way. What decision has already been made? about your life, that you're kind of wondering, eh, should it be my will that's done or God's will that's done? But what, what choice has been made for you? And if you want to get something to write with, if it's helpful for you just to have a visual, or you can draw a picture. I know some of you are artists who like to do visual things. But just be honest. I'm wrestling right now with this temptation to go this direction. But the reality is I've surrendered my life to Christ. He's the king. He's the Lord. Um, that decision's been made for me. This is where I must go. Is it clear what, what I'm asking you to just to wrestle with here for a bit? All right, Becky, we'll just take a couple minutes.
so I've just decided I'm going to try to make this a little interactive this morning. I hope this doesn't throw us for a loop. Okay. We're going to pray three times this morning. I'd like to offer at the end of each time, if, if something just strikes you while you're there, just come up and, and um, share it. We'll just try to keep it brief. Like right now, if you're like, okay, the decision's been made for me, this is the decision that I must make. You don't even have to give it a context. If you just want to come up and, and offer something to the group, to the community of the church so that they're with you, you're welcome to do that. I'm not going to put pressure on you at all. Um, but if I see someone get up and start walking toward the front, I'll just back away and uh, you'll be able to talk. Are we, can we be interactive like that? Okay. And for those of you watching online, if you'd like to post something on the Facebook thread that goes with this, um, We'll see if we can monitor it, and we could always offer something to the discussion as well. I'm throwing you guys for a loop. Is this going to work? It's not going to work? Okay. We're not going to do that. So, uh, yeah, you guys at home, you're, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Anybody have any thoughts about this first one, about submission? The choice has been made for you. All right. Let's go to number two. Repentance involves action. So when we sin, we're rejecting a holy plan that a holy God has for us, and we're going in un unholy directions. And so repentance has to do with turning around. I think we've talked about this before at church, but it, it's this literal sense that I've been going in this direction, and repentance involves me turning around and going in opposite direction than I was going before. I want to give you two verses from Acts that capture two parts of this turning around. So the first one is Acts chapter 3, verse 19. simply says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. But you'll note there are some nuances to these words. So the first repent means literally change your mind. Think differently about the world and about life and what you're doing. The second one, the be converted, is change your actions. So this and that happens in both those verses, by the way. So this means once you're going this way, it's not as if your mind keeps going this way while your body turns around and heads back the opposite direction. It's also not the reverse. It's not sufficient if your body keeps going that way and it's only your head that turns around and goes in this direction. That would be weird. Our bodies would separate. We would lack what we call integrity. So the idea of integrity is that we're unified into who we are. So... I'm going this way. My mind has decided, I think I'm doing my will, and this seems like a good idea for whatever reason, and my body is following that direction. If we're not careful, we can have this idea that repentance is just changing our mind about things. Oh, now I feel bad about it. But biblically speaking, there's two parts. I, my mind does change. I desire holiness, and then my body changes, and so I will turn, and I will go back this direction, and I will live differently than I have before. Now, I don't know what your experience in life has been with repentance, but I have found it nearly impossible, if not in fact impossible, to on my own change my mind and my direction. But there's good news. We serve a God who does the impossible on our behalf, right? So part of what we're praying when we pray prayers, prayers of repentance is, Lord, I'm asking for a miracle. Every time I'm asking for a miracle. I don't have it in myself. If I'm going this direction... I don't have it in myself to turn my mind and turn my body and head back the other direction in the way that I need to to be a holy and righteous person. I just don't. You don't either. 
So what we're doing is we're praying for two things. Lord, change, change my mind. Well, maybe three things. Change my mind, change my actions, and please, I beg of you, give me your strength to do it. I can't do this on my own. I, we've said before, if God calls you to do something, God will equip you to do that thing. God calls all of us to repentance. He'll equip you to repent. He calls all of us to turn around. He'll equip you to turn around. You're not on your own. And so you've got the Holy Spirit, you've got Scripture, and when we get to the third point too, you have people around you that are helping you to do this. God will equip you for what he calls you to do. So here's question number two. In your life, what change of mind and action will follow your repentance? How will you think and act differently on the other side of repentance? So if you're writing stuff down or thinking through it, part of it is just thinking through, okay, what does that change look like? How will I think differently about the world? How will I act differently in the world? And then part three is, oh, dear God, work a miracle. <laughs> and it might even be that you're at a point you're going, I don't really want to change. I kind of like where I'm at. Okay, the part of what you're praying for is, dear God, do a miracle. Make me want to change my heart and my actions, even as you give the, me the ability to do that. So once again, let's just take a couple minutes Becky will play some music as well. And think carefully and thoughtfully and prayerfully through this.
thoughts from anyone? I will live by and try to put into my life. And this year, the word was decision. And decision means to decisively change, turn. You're not going back. You have decided. That is it. So every day to get up, and what is my thinking? And what am I thinking about? Am I thinking about things above? Or am I thinking about things here on the earth that are very temporal, as we all can see? I'm kind of nervous here. <laughs> so anyway. Um, that was interesting when Anthony said decision because it's like you need to go up there and talk to people because our thoughts are so powerful. And we can change things consciously through our thoughts. That's why God says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And there are a lot of scriptures about our thoughts and how important it is to get connected to the Lord God. Okay, thank you. I'm thinking of the, the verse that says, you create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit. And the verse is about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a, it's a full body work God does in us. Um, I'm Taylor, and this was reminding me of, I think, a missed opportunity. It could have been 2019. Who knows? Um, 2020 was so long. But um, I believe it was the beginning of 2020, and I'm reminded of what I think was a missed opportunity that was kind of uh, maybe signifying something larger that was really on my heart for most of 2020. Um, I think we've all in some way kind of felt this um, disintegrating of community, and we like to think it's because of other people. So my wife and I were checking out of the grocery store and this woman came in very upset. I think she may have been struggling with some type of mental illness and she was yelling about where is the orange juice. And I knew right where it was. Uh, everybody was a little bit freaked out and they were just trying to direct her away from the group of people that was in line and saying it's over there in that corner of the store, you'll find it. And I, and I thought about, I knew what to do in that moment. I should have said, I can show you, or I need orange juice too, let's go together. I knew exactly what I needed to do, but I didn't act on it. And I was upset at the staff at the store, they weren't doing their job, the other people in line that they didn't do what I thought they should have and, and helped her. And so that was kind of to me representative of this idea of being salt and light um, and how I went through most of 2020 just wishing other people would be salt and light so our community could thrive uh, instead of disintegrate. And instead, um, I'm realizing that I need to just, in every situation that I presented, be that salt and light, and not always just depend on other people and think they need to repent and we'll be so much better off. Um, so that's my challenge to myself. Thanks, Taylor. I think that's a good challenge to all of us.
All right, let's go to point number three. Repentance involves honest humility. This means two things. One is we're acknowledging our sin before God, but then we're also acknowledging our sin to those we've hurt. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, or in other words, that you've sinned against them, leave your gift there in front of the altar. It's a remarkable thing. If you're there to worship and you remember I have sinned against someone and I've hurt them and it is not resolved. Leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So here's a sobering note. God doesn't want your worship if it's coming from an unrepentant heart. I have a link in the notes. Um, Rather than giving you all the different places the Bible talks about this, you can go to the link. This is a constant thing in the Old Testament in particular. Uh, God doesn't want insincere worship. And one of the things that the prophets keep coming back to is it's this repentant heart, it's this life of submission, it's obedience, and it's um, being for justice and righteousness and mercy, and it's all this kind of stuff. And if that is not something that we are trying to offer to God, granted, it will never be perfect, right? But we're, we're orienting our lives to be a particular kind of people. I mean, God says, I'm... I'm not interested. I'd much rather you go take care of that issue than bring this sacrifice to me. That's the first thing. This is a, this is a big deal in Scripture. And I want to make a side note about this. So that was my sobering note. Here's my important note. Repentance is meant to bring peace where there has been hurt and there has been strife. Okay? So I feel like this is a note worth making. A number of years ago, I was talking about it to a friend, and he said that at the church he went to, he was being convicted that he had had lustful feelings about a woman in this church, and that he was wondering, should he go and confess this to her? And I said, does she know? And he said, no. And I said, please don't. That's going to create strife. Um, as, as far as he knew, there was not, there was, it had not had an effect where it had hurt her, Okay, I think <laughs> that might be between you and God, uh, the one better kept to yourself, right? Because that wouldn't necessarily bring about reconciliation. That's maybe making the problem worse. I'm talking about when you know there's been a situation where there's words or attitudes or actions that have hurt someone else in a sinful fashion, and you know it, you feel it. Uh, and, and I think we, we've all been there. We know it, right? Okay, then that's something that we have to go do We have to acknowledge it face-to-face without equivocation, uh, without defensiveness. We just lay ourselves out there and go, I was wrong before God and before you. I want to show you something that I saw this past week that I think really models this. I have mentioned over the last number of months some things happening kind of in the national stage of Christian leaders who have failed. And I've I've tried to be careful about names that I have said publicly. But this last week, a a man wrote a letter of repentance. And this man, he works for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. And part of the problem was Ravi was one of these scandals. And this guy whose name is Carson, he's on the board there, and he has been a speaker for Ravi. He publicly published a letter that he also sent. And so he would like this to be public. So I'm not sharing anything that 
Carson is not wanting to be out there. And a friend sent it to me and said, did you see this? And I got done and I thought, this is it. This is how you do repentance. So I want to read you a couple excerpts from it. The, the letter itself was much longer. I'm just choosing some paragraphs that are relevant to our discussion this morning. He said, Dear Brad and Lorianne, I wanted to write in an effort to acknowledge my shameful complicity in honoring Ravi, dishonoring you, and protecting myself for my failure to seek the truth, to show you proper respect, and to advocate for justice. I contritely ask for you to consider forgiving me. Such egregious wrong deserves a fuller accounting. This letter is my effort to explain where I failed in my obligations to God, to you, and to many others. In dependence upon God's grace, I now seek to repair the damage I have caused. First, I want to wholeheartedly apologize to you and your allies for the pain and heartache I have caused for over three years. I understand this has been far harder than I will ever know or understand. I am so sorry. Second, I am personally contacting my friends and partners in ministry to make amends. I am telling them the truth, confessing my failings, and inviting them to join me in a righteous response to this grievous situation. I should note, Carson was not part of the initial problem. He was part of not responding well. I hope and pray that many more will join me in fostering a culture that is increasingly vigilant to expose abusers and earnestly committed to protecting everyone else who would otherwise be vulnerable to predation. I will also be making a public statement in the near future. Third, I believe Ravi Zacharias International Ministries must change its name, repent, and seek a restorative response to the harm you and others have experienced. I'm advocating that an organization with credibility in the survivor community be hired to do a thorough assessment of the organization and its complicity. I believe their proposals for reform will need to be implemented. Apart from the board and senior leadership demonstrating a serious and wholehearted attempt to change course, I intend to resign. If, in an abundance of mercy, you would be willing to give me counsel on any other measures that I might take to demonstrate my most sincere repentance and commitment to change, I would be most grateful. Well, I don't know how to improve on that. And he wasn't even the guy who was responsible for the initial offenses. That was, unfortunately, Ravi. He was just a guy who was part of a very problematic response. And when I first read that, there was, I, I was there was a combination of emotions. One was like just tears because uh, I'm just grieved by the whole situation. But the other part of me, there was something that leapt a little bit inside. And I thought, oh, no, this is how it begins. This is how the restoration and the, the going on of a ministry that's been hugely impactful in so many ways. How do you pick up the pieces? This is how you start with just this unabashed repentance. It's a changing of mind and a changing of action. And so this is question number three. To whom do you need to go and make peace through humble confession and repentance? What will an honest, non-defensive apology look like? So, as Becky is playing, this might be the hardest one of the morning because the other two are mostly internal. This one now has implications in community. It's family, friends, it's coworkers. I don't know who it is, but this one has implications but part of genuine, honest repentance is I must go to those whom I have hurt, and I must seek to 
to make amends. Yeah. Okay. So let's just think and pray about that for a bit. I don't know. Does anybody want to say something after this one? It may be one better left between you and other individuals. But I don't want you to forget this one. Got a couple. So I'm Tom. Hi. Um, this one is largely in the rearview mirror for me. <clears throat> largely. Almost entirely. I think there's something for young dads to, to pull out of this one. So my girls are growing up. Um, I found myself in the habit of giving running commentary. Um, things we experience together. We might be watching a video. We might be driving. We might be on a walk, um, but I just made commentary about people, uh, things that I saw, somebody looked funny, or they had some strange behavior, and I, just this constant running commentary. And what my girls learned from that is that, well, maybe Christians generally, but certainly my Christian dad, this is what they do. They make running commentary about other people. And it's in the rearview mirror in a couple of ways. Um, I think the repentance uh, for me, I don't feel like I do that much anymore. Uh, but the damage is done. And I can't go undo it. Um, going to them in repentance and asking forgiveness was, was hard. Um, 
So I guess maybe a little extra lesson there for you um, moms and dads out there that maybe still have little people or don't have little people yet. Um, just be very mindful of that. That's a damaging thing. And, uh, and my girls were damaged by that. So... Hold that thought for just a second. I want to add something to what Tom said. One of my boys was reluctant to become a driver. And I wasn't sure why. And when I finally asked him, which is a good idea, is to have conversation, figure stuff like that out. One of the things he said was, I'm, I'm very conscious of how critical other people will be of my driving. Guess where he got that? I have, that, that was a turnaround moment for me, that some damage had already been done, but um, I don't have to keep passing that on. Yeah. Step a little closer to the mic. Um, those of us who think we really kind of know better than everybody else about the world. Um, so I've got a thing going with my husband where we have different political views. And <laughs> when he says things that strike me as being unjust or untrue, in my heart, I want to punch him. <laughs> so this business of recognizing how to get to a point of um, surrender, uh, not getting defensive when I hear somebody say something that I think is wrong that really upsets me. I get defensive, and I'm, that's where I'm. And so this is this is current for me. You guys, <laughs> but but I'm I'm trying to get my heart surrendered. It doesn't serve any purpose. You know, my, my being defensive serves no purpose. So, I'm <laughs> when we got to the last one, I suddenly had things I could have written earlier because I didn't know what to say about it. But this is, this is where the big one is for me right now, where I disagree in communication about something and being able to not just, I mean, I know, <coughs> I do a good job of listening. But I know that the spark went out of my eye when he said that thing, you know, it's like <laughs> So <clears throat> I know my heart has some uh, mending that needs to be done. I suspect a lot of us have done some punching in our hearts this year. It's a good reminder. At the end of your notes, and this is here in paper and online where the notes are published, I added a number of prayers. And some of these you'll see are from Book of Common Prayer, um, different formal publications of things. Some are simply from, they're anonymous. I just, I was looking this, this week, just prayers of repentance. I, I like to pray, I mean, my own which I've had plenty of opportunity to do. But I also like to 
participate in the broader historical reality of the church, right? So I like to look up things. I have seven or eight prayers here that I'm just going to recommend that they be something that you maybe use this week just as a rhythm to your day to do prayers of repentance this week. My thought is I'd like to do them at supper with my family this week. Um, Usually we just do a brief prayer before we eat, but I think we might take the week just to repent before meals this week, just to keep it in front of us as part of the rhythm of this week. Um, As we go into a new year, what does it look like? What does it look like to be a new person in Christ? I'm not not big on New Year's resolutions, mostly because I almost never keep them. (laughs) But I know something that as a Christian, I have a resolution as a Christian that is ongoing. And that is surrendering my life to Christ, being transformed into the image of Christ. And I'm grateful that we have a God who equips us to that which he calls us. Lord, I am grateful. I'm grateful for repentance. I'm grateful that we are not stuck and lost in our sins. I'm grateful that there is a means for us to approach you, and I'm thankful for Jesus who makes that approach um, eternally beautiful. Thankful for forgiveness, that our history is not our destiny. I pray, Lord, that we can become a people for whom the rhythm of repentance and forgiveness is just deeply ingrained in our lives. May it deepen our relationship with you and deepen our relationship with others. Lord, give us the strength to do it, the wisdom to do it well, grace to do it relentlessly. So next week, um, Tom's going to talk about planning not to sin. I'm not going to give anything away other than that. Um, But I'm really looking forward to it. There's some important things that that he has to offer to this discussion. I would encourage you when we dismiss here, um, if you're close to someone in the room who came up and offered something this morning from the microphone, just thank them. Let them know how much you appreciate their, their honesty their forthrightness here within our church community. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Oh, one final thing. We send out care packages to people in the military, kids in college, et cetera. Uh, We have a couple over there to mail this morning. So if you would, pick one up and mail it. How was that, Marilyn? All right. Okay, thank you. Have a blessed week. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.